We've been talking about poetry in the Bible, how biblical poets love design and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism. These poems invite us into an experience, to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles. And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that's what we're gonna look at here. Now the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry, a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple? Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers, all of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room. So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile. Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story and say their prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Cool, but how does the Psalms do it? Let's start with the book's design. There are 150 poems broken up into five clear sections. At the beginning, there's been placed a short introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, which lay out the main themes of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. Okay. Psalm 1 looks back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life. Yeah, God placed humanity in a garden temple. And here, humans decide to define good and evil on their own terms, and so are exiled from the garden. But the first psalm paints a portrait of hope, about an upright human who delights in God's wisdom, which is called Torah, or instruction. This person is like the tree of life in the garden temple. They eternally blossom because they're planted in the river of God's life. Yeah, that's beautiful, but who's it supposed to be? Well, remember that story in Genesis? After humanity's foolish rebellion, God made a promise. Oh right, a future human, the seed of the woman who would come and defeat evil and restore the world. And that's what Psalm 2 is about. God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. He's called the Son of God and the Messiah. God appoints him to bring justice on human evil and to restore God's kingdom and peace over the nations. So Psalms 1 and 2 introduce all these main themes. Yes, and then the book develops those themes through the five sections. The first two explore the complicated story of David and his royal family. The third section focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line. But then the fourth and fifth sections rekindle the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. Then the book ends with a five-part conclusion, praising God for his faithfulness. Cool. Now, nearly half of the Psalms are connected to one guy, King David, who God chose to rule Israel. Yes, David's story is really important in this book. 
He experienced many times of hardship, but he trusted God with radical faith. And in these poems, David shares his fears, confesses his failures, and offers thanks to his Redeemer. And he's constantly speaking of a deep longing to be in God's presence in the temple. But wait, David lived before the temple was even built. Exactly. This portrait of David, hoping and praying for God's kingdom and a future temple, it resembles the hopes of the later generations of the exiles. And so David's prayers could become theirs as well. David's like a prayer coach, giving us words for how to pray and how to discover God's presence in good times and bad. Exactly. There are 73 poems connected to David, but most of the rest come from later generations of biblical poets, and they have learned to pray and hope like David. And so the end result is the book of Psalms, designed as a virtual temple for all generations of God's people. This isn't a kind of book you just read once and put down. No, it's designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflection. These prayers and laments and songs of praise are meant to become our own. They're poems for exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. Okay, I could have said all that, I knew all that. I wanted you guys to see that video. The Bible Project's been really helpful for me over the years. They've got a cool reading plan. You can go onto YouTube. That's where I found that video. There's a couple of videos on there about Psalms that are helpful. Um, just before we get started, I just want to say um, I love you, Thad. <laughs> love you, Lori. That was an awesome testimony last week. Thanks for the last three weeks. My friend, uh, Pastor Michael from Tampa, jumped in and preached. Brian preached. And uh, last week, Cheryl, I, I told her after, just mothered us. That's what we needed. Thank you, Cheryl. So grateful for that. So we're starting this new series. Get a little golf clap sometimes. It's okay. I get them all the time. Don't worry about it. Um, started this new series called Psalms. And have you ever been in, uh, around a parent or you are a parent of a young child and there's this dialogue going on between the parent and the child where the child is trying to interact maybe with another adult or with another kid, and the parent is saying, use your words, like, use your words, or the parent will say, say thank you, or uh, say uh, no thank you, or say yes sir, or say yes ma'am, or say not right now, or whatever the phrase may be, and then the kid repeats the phrase. It's actually a joke uh, sometimes when an adult gets tongue-tied. Somebody may have said this to you before, like, come on, use your words, you can do it, you know, or you uh, are in Target, and some poor child, maybe your own, is having a meltdown in the floor and the parent is trying to get this child to communicate what they really want to say, but they've just reached a point that they, they don't have the words, they need words, and the parent is saying, use your words, use your words, come on, communicate what's going on. Well, what are those words? Well, those are the words that the parent has taught them, the words that the parent is trying to teach them as they learn how to communicate what's going on inside of them. There's a way to do it and a way not to do it, and the parents are trying to teach them the right way to say what's in their heart. Prayer can be this way. What do I say? How do I communicate this thing to God? What are the words for this confusion, fear, sadness, frustration? You know, you might hear things like, um, I just lost it. I just chewed God out. I, I just let God have it. I cursed God out. And, you know, we've probably all had those moments where we've just kind of lost it in prayer, moments of despair. But I don't think that's where we want to stay, and I don't think that's where we want to intentionally operate. You say, well, I don't know about that. If I don't feel like I can be real with God, well, 
I don't know that I can pray. Well, think about any relationship. Just bursting a string of emotion on anyone in your life is never going to be fruitful or going to move that relationship forward in any way. If I approach Jocelyn and just say, this is what's going on, and just blah, for 45 minutes, uh, after the 45 minutes are over, are we gonna be in a better place or a worse place? Probably not a better place because I've just haven't used my words. You know, I've just free associated to my wife or to my children or to a friend, to my parents, you name it. So when we think about approaching Jesus, you say, well, I'm not sure. I I still think that I should have the right to talk to God however I want. I'm not gonna argue with you on that. Like that's not a hill I would die on, but just know that the problem's never with him. He's the one working to redeem, restore, renew, all those great R words that that we love. He's the one making all things new. We're the ones wallowing in our brokenness and he's healing and redeeming us. So usually no matter what we say to him, it's always gonna be, are you, willing to, are you willing to cooperate and allow me to do the work that I'm trying to do in you to heal you through your prayers, even at your worst moments? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. But this is a dangerous error, which is certainly very widespread among Christians today to imagine that it is natural for the heart to pray. We then confuse wishing, hoping, sighing, lamenting, rejoicing, all of which the heart can certainly do on its own, with praying. But in doing so, we confuse earth and heaven, human beings and God. Praying certainly does not mean simply pouring out one's heart. It means rather finding the way to and speaking with God, whether the heart is full or empty. No one can do that on one's own. For that, one needs Jesus Christ. Sometimes we come before God with a full heart. Like we just, something amazing has happened. Like some of these testimonies, like I just, Lee and, and Thad were just full this morning. Thanksgiving's just flowing out of them. Sometimes we come before God with an empty heart. How do we pray? How do we use our words? What are our words in those moments? We want to yell, we denounce our faith, tear down other people, belittle, self-deprecate. We're a child rolling around on the floor at Target. Anybody ever been there? I have. Okay. And we're like, someone's, maybe there's like someone who's risen up against us, or maybe we're just having a conflict and we just want to accuse that person before the Lord. And then we have to go, wait a minute, now I'm joining the enemy in his work. Jesus is interceding for them. Or we want to self-deprecate. This was something I had to get through. Like I was so kind of wired for performance that if I messed up, especially in my earlier years as a Christian, nobody ever taught me this. I just kind of found my way into this nonsense. But I would, if I I messed up, whatever it was, I would just, in prayer, I'd just be like, God, I'm so stupid. Stupid. I just can't believe I would do that. I'm horrible. I'm an idiot. That was the worst thing. And I would just like try to atone for my own sins. And when I finally got to this place where I felt like in prayer, I'd given myself this verbal lashing to the point that I could actually forgive myself. Then I could accept the forgiveness of Jesus who gave his life for me and reconciled me back to the father. So I was like atoning for my own sins verbally. It was this self-deprecating thing. Whatever that looks like for you when you want to go to those wrong places in prayer, 
It's hard in those moments, in those highly tense emotional moments to know how to pray. St. Athanasius was quoted, uh, paraphrased actually, as saying this. this. I've been sitting with this quote for about a month now. Most of scripture speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. Most of scripture speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. We were singing a song this morning. Um, Let everything that has breath, what's the t- what was the title of that song? Unrivaled. Psalm one, either Psalm 150 or 151. I Googled it during worship. I, I don't I didn't have that remembered. <laughs> so ashamed, I have to confess that, all right. I sat down on my phone during worship and Googled it. But I was like, let everyone have breath. That sounds like Bible, right? So we actually come into this place. And, and what I love about uh, worship, you know, psalms are songs, right? What I love about worship is that we are rightly orienting ourselves on how to communicate, how to view God. When we sing there's one chief end, two men's purpose, okay, that's from, that was written hundreds of years ago. It's part of what's called the Westminster Confession where a group of people who sat down and labored over the scriptures came together and wrote out this confession that said, why is man here? And we, we're still, people are still saying that. We're singing it. Why? Because it's truth. The Psalms are here to serve us in that way. Eugene Peterson, pastor who we lost Uh, a couple of years ago wrote, until the 19th century, the people of God learned to pray through the Psalms. They were the original prayer guides and are still the best covering virtually all human emotions and expressing all types of speech to God. So different scholars have different words for like the categories of Psalms that we have, but I just wanted to do like a quick overview for you guys so that um, we can kind of have an idea as we get into the series. So there's three, this is by a, a scholar named Trimper Longman. Um, he's, I think he's legit enough to use him only this morning. Um, so he would say there's three major categories of Psalms. Uh, the first would be hymns, which are like a joyful praise. Okay, fairly straightforward. The second would be laments, people in distress. You see David writing laments in the Psalms. People are in a tough situation. Thanksgiving songs, they're like hymns, but thanking God for specific deliverance from a previous lament, a previous distress. And then he would say there's smaller categories of the Psalms. So like a confidence Psalm, okay? I just wrote an example here for you because it's a familiar Psalm, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I was a kid, I didn't understand that. I was like, he's your shepherd, but you don't want him. It's like, like, (laughs) super limited vocabulary for a while there. Um, I didn't understand poetry at all, but the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. I've got, that's it, right? I'm confident in him. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I need. Okay, that's a confidence psalm. Prophetic, these kind of read more, more like if you're uh, diving into Isaiah or Jeremiah, like an exhortation with a call to repentance. Like you are, this is, you're so far from me. You need to turn back to me, okay? Um, or this is the calamity that's waiting for you. And like a wisdom psalm, these kind of read like the Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. And then royal uh, remembrance psalms, uh, which is recalling a past deliverance. Uh, and then a royal psalm, which is about like God as king or a human king. These, a lot of these are written about David and the lineage of David. 
Martin Luther wrote that there was a symbiotic relationship between the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms, which makes sense because the Psalms would have been completely internalized by Jesus Christ. Like the Psalms would have been just woven into the spirit of Jesus. That He probably had them memorized, many of them, if not all of them. The Psalms would have just been an overflow of the heart of the Lord. These would have been his prayers. Let me read something to you that's familiar from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. That's Psalm 22. Jesus is hanging there and maybe... Maybe he didn't have the words. He needed to use his words. What are the words? And the psalm bellows out of him. Why have you forsaken me? This song that he had sung, this poem that he had internalized is just there. It's at the tip of his spirit and it flows out of him. And he prays it as he's dying. Later in that psalm, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So even praying into this psalm and Jesus was even bringing this psalm into a prophetic sense and that those things were actually happening to him uh, as he was hanging on the cross. Jesus had so embodied the Psalms that they were an overflow and an outcry of his heart as he was being crucified. So that's a short introduction to the Psalms. We're gonna be in them for four or five weeks, but what are some next steps for us as we think through this? How do we make this practical? Well, Ephesians 5, 19 through 20 says this, speak to one another. I know you think you're out of Ephesians and I'll pull you back in, okay? Speak to one another with Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, three things for you. The first is this, let the Psalms shape our vocabulary. I want us to be so ingrained in the Psalms. Like I, this, this may seem like a wish list for me, but I want us to be so ingrained in the Psalms. I want us to be this way in the scriptures, but I want us to be so ingrained in the Psalms that we're saying things throughout the week to each other. And we're like, man, that's a Psalm. I want it to just overflow. I want us to be rooted in this. You can be rooted in so many things. How about what the people of God have prayed for centuries? I want to be rooted in that so that it, we're speaking. We're not just singing them. We're speaking them to each other. It's shaping who we are. It's shaping how we talk. It's shaping how we communicate from the inside out. But in order to do this, we need to know them and read them. I try to read three to four Psalms every morning. I haven't always done that, but that's something that's become a part of my life because I find that in the morning, I don't usually have words, you know. Joss and I will pass each other by the Keurig and be like, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not yet, not yet. See you in a minute. We know we're about to do the things with the kids and all that stuff, right? And we go to our separate corners. Okay, it sounds like we're having a fight. We go to our separate places in the house and, uh, and, and we, we try to say, what's gonna be the first thing? And I like to read the Psalms because I don't, I don't even say them. I just read them because I'm like, pray for me. <laughs> I just, like, I just want this to be the first thing that just kind of works its way through me in the morning. 
Okay, I just want this to be the first thing. If, if, you, if We have our Bible reading plan for our church out on the table uh, in the lobby, and uh, there's a psalm every week, okay? There's a psalm for every week. So if you want to start there and you say, I'm just going to live in a psalm every week, we've put it for you strategically in our, in our reading plan, and you can soak in a psalm every week, or you can say one day of the week, I'm going to start reading a psalm. You can start somewhere the second one is this, sing the Psalms. So Paul says, speak them to each other. He says, sing Psalms and songs. Uh, you would be surprised how many current Christian songs are ancient Psalms. Okay, that's tongue, tongue tied there. You would be surprised how many current Christian songs are ancient Psalms, like the one we sang this morning. Okay. Um, the third is this, pray the Psalms. Let them speak for you. Let them speak for you. Now, if you're like me, if you're wired like me at all, you don't like that, okay? I remember the first time I had an opportunity with a group of pastors, we were preaching through the same series together, and we were going to preach through the Psalms together, and I was the only one that was a verse. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, those are, those are kind of emo. Those are, those are a, little too, a little too feely for me. Like, I'm not trying to, uh, the, the Psalms, man, I, I, I don't know that, I, I don't really dig poetry. Like, that's not my thing. Then I, I just kind of went through some things. Started bleeding, metaphorically. And all of a sudden, the Psalms really started resonating. You know what I mean? And I, I started needing help with my prayers. But I would encourage you to do that now. Be intentional about letting the prayers that the people of God have prayed for hundreds of years begin to pray for you because I think there's even a bigger reason for doing it. Bonhoeffer goes on to say this. If we want to read and pray the prayers of the Bible and especially the Psalms, we must not therefore first ask what they have to do with us, but what they have to do with Jesus Christ. We must ask how we can understand the Psalms as God's word and only then can we pray them with Jesus Christ. Oh, powerful, that, that just struck me, praying with Jesus because he's the word made flesh, right? So if it's in God's word, it's like he's, he embodies it like we're praying it with him. Thus it does not matter whether the Psalms express exactly what we feel in our heart at the moment we pray, Perhaps it is precisely the case that we must pray against our own heart in order to pray rightly. It is not just that for which we ourselves want to pray that is important, but that for which God wants us to pray. <laughs> Have you ever sensed that the right prayer was the prayer against your own heart? I have. <laughs> I have. So I just want us to just kind of do this, okay? I have two psalms selected. I'm going to read one, and then I think, um, I think Cole, I think I'm going to have you come up and read the second one. Just close our eyes for just a second.
Let this psalm speak for you. Use your words. What are they? His words. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. This is Psalm 130. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My soul, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. That term, watchmen wait for the morning, I just want to give you an, an image of that before Cole comes up. A watchman was someone who through the night was keeping an eye out to see if the people of God were going to be attacked, waiting to see if there was going to be a surprise attack from an army that they didn't, may not even know was their enemy coming after them. So if it was your night to watch, you were watching, but you were not only watching, you were waiting for the morning so that you could see, so that you could see. If you're waiting, I want you to enter into that. Let's think about that. What are you waiting? I think of that song from Bethel, he's in the waiting. You know what I mean? Like we don't realize when we refuse the, the waiting, someone was, was praying it this week. When we refuse the waiting, we, we try to get away from it. We try to get away from the mess. But when we're present to the waiting, he's in the waiting and he meets with us there. All right, Cole. Cole's gonna read this psalm and then lead us into a time of prayer ministry. Everybody can just stand up. And uh, we're just going to, like Jared said, go into a time of prayer ministry. I'm just going to pray this psalm just to help us um, enter into the Lord's presence again. Um, this is Psalm 131, the psalm after the one Jared just read. It's a song of ascent. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. 